This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We have been in a sermon series since Easter Sunday entitled Made New. And today is sermon number three in that series. And I'm preaching this morning on this subject, the refreshing part of God's family. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me today to John chapter 1. And uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be reading verses number 9 through 13. Years ago, and I don't know how uh, long it has actually been, but years ago, we used to sing a song quite often. And it was entitled, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Do you remember that old song? And I remember that it, it was one of those kind of songs that when we sang it, it just seemed that it just went in and out of every pew. And where I stand or sit, I looked out into the congregation and I could just, you could just feel the radiance of that song beaming off of one another. And some of the striking words that I remember in that old song was, you may notice that we say brother and sister around here. And it's because of all the family, the folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed the tears. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Isn't that a wonderful song? And think about the meaning of those words. Sometimes I think when we sing, if we're not careful, we can become so routinely robotic that we just are concentrating on whatever the, the rhythm or the tempo or the melodies or the harmonies may be. And oftentimes we forget that some of these songs were birthed in great doctrine and inspiration that we miss the message of the song altogether. I think it's important that, that we take time to listen a little bit more carefully. But I, I love that old song. And today we're talking about the essence of that old song, the refreshing part of God's family. So I want to read this passage of Scripture for you in, in John chapter 1, and beginning with verse number 9. In John chapter 1, Beginning in verse number nine, the word says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man to cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so again this morning, Sermon 3 in a series of four messages. Of made new, I'm preaching this morning on the refreshing part of God's family. And I want to remind you that this particular series was birthed, it was born out of our Easter celebration. And it was just a couple of weeks ago that we had a glorious 
Easter time here at Buford Road, and uh, my heart still remembers a lot of the excitement and the specialties that we had. And I want to remind you today as we continue to reflect on Easter Sunday just a couple of Sundays ago and how this particular series was birthed and born out of that, I want to remind us this morning, all of us, that we are here today in this church house because of the grace of God that was made available to us through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious bodily resurrection from the dead. As believers and as Christian people, we can never lose sight of the fact of the power that the Easter celebration, when we think about the Lord's resurrection, we cannot lose sight of the fact, the power of Easter, because in itself it makes everything about us new. And that's why I've chosen to call this series Made New. In the first sermon of this series, we learned that it was our faith in Christ that transformed us into the people of God that he would have us to be. Last week, we talked about that because of the grace of God, we can move past our past. All of us in here have one. And maybe some still struggle with the past, but because of the power of the resurrection and the grace of God that makes everything new when we come into his family. Listen, there's, the, there's an old song that says, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. And that's what we need to do with our past. That's how we move on from our past. Thank God, listen carefully, our sins, and that's a word I think seldom used in churches today. People don't want to talk about sin, but the Bible really unveils it and makes a big thing about that. In fact, we cannot lose sight of the fact that's why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't come to fulfill an event in human history. He came to die on the cross for our sins. And we have to remember this, that our sins and our mistakes under the blood of Jesus. Because the scripture says if we confess them, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we bring our failures, our sins, our mistakes, listen carefully, they do not have the last word in our life. Those things do not define us. The finality of us in Christ, Jesus finishes it all. He says it all in our lives. So listen, this week, I want to look at another glorious aspect of the far-reaching effects of the resurrection of Jesus. When God makes us new, and he can do that through the power of the resurrection, but when, when God makes us new, we, we become a part of his family. One of the greatest blessings of God, I believe, on this earth is to have a family. I know that there are many people here this morning where I have stood in this pulpit and I have preached the funeral services of your loved ones who are now in heaven. And there's an empty seat at the table perhaps today. Maybe you live by yourself. I don't know, but maybe your house is still full of young children. Maybe you're about ready to experience that empty nest effect. This morning, here's the thing. All of us know the importance of a family. All of us know the blessings and the joy that a family can bring. Some of you might be experiencing estranged 
effects from family. Maybe you have a smothering love for family. Maybe your family lives in other states. Maybe uh, there's uh, wonderful times that you get together in reunions of some sort. I don't know, but to have a visible, tangible circle of people around you. And you might say, well, you know, preacher, that's not my circumstance today. That's why I wanted to start the illustration off in the message this morning. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God because wherever you are today, whatever you're going through in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you can look around you this morning and you've got a great big family sitting right here. All of us can thank God for one another. We need one another. We're going to find that out, how important that is this morning in today's message, to have visible, tangible people under your roof or within your arm's length, wherever you need people that you know who loves you. I want to share a quick story with you about my preacher son, Brian, and his family. My preacher son lives in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And years ago, God brought into his life and to his wife's life a huge passion for missions. And Brian has been involved in mission trips all over the world. In fact, his two sons are getting ready to take a missions trip themselves to Costa Rica. But many years ago, God placed upon the heart of my son, Brian, and his wife, the thought of adoption. And that became very real and very compassionate to them. As they sought out to pray, God, would you lead us in this direction? You know what? This world is full of stuff today. kind of turns our stomach. It makes us sick. But all you hear today is this thing about abortion, abortion, abortion. But you know what? The other side of that is adoption, adoption, adoption. And you know, there are not many preachers that are willing to stand in the pulpit and talk about that, but that is the God's honest truth. God burdened my son and his wife about this thing of adoption, and they begin to pray, Lord, lead us in the direction where you would have us to go. God burdened upon my son's and his wife, Jana's, my daughter-in-law's heart to pursue an adoption uh, in, in a far distant land, Ethiopia. And as God began to burden them about this incredible journey and leading them, guiding them, in fact, God had to go before them in incredible ways, miraculous ways. They begin to pray, God, show us what to do, how to go about it. And in the process of them finding out what it was that God wanted them to do, he brought to their knowledge the awareness of this little abandoned child, literally, that had been thrown in a field left to die by her own biological parents. The child was thrown into a field left to die. In Ethiopia, that happens quite often. A police officer happened to be walking past this field one day and heard the cry of the child. 
he picked that baby up and he took it to a facility where they begin to process her and treat her and care for her and begin nourishing her. And I'm going to cut a lot of corners here this morning because I've got a lot to say in this message today. But to make a very long story short, Brian and Jana became aware of this child that was available to adopt. And so their journey began. And I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in adoption, but I will tell you, it's not simple. You don't just raise your hand and say, count me in. You just don't go downtown and say, I'll take this one or that one. That's not how it works. It's even in third world countries, it's a very complicated process. But not only is it a complicated process, it's a very expensive process. And so when all the information began to come back to Brian and Jana, the price of all of this in the beginning stages was over $30,000. So Brian and Jana being moved so much with missions and overwhelmed with God's spirit, this is what God wanted them to do, began now on this journey. And they began to sell just about everything they had. And then people in the church would offer to hold fundraisers and sell baked goods and all kinds of things. And finally they got the money they needed to make the trip. They made the trip and then they had everything lined up and they had to come back home and they had to take care of some other final things. And they went back for the adoption. And Brian told me, he said, Dad, he said, one of the greatest experiences. In fact, before they even got to this stage, he said, Dad, you would be surprised of all the kids that are sleeping in one little room in this orphanage. So sometimes there's four and five children this age sleeping in a crib, one crib. He said when they eat, they, they never have meats. It's always a bowl of rice. And he said this is how they do it. They have a big bowl. Picture in your mind a big salad bowl. And all of these children sit in a circle. And they take this bowl of rice and they pass it. The little children pass it from one child. And this child gives it to this child. And they take what they can get with their hand. They stuff their mouth and they pass this bowl to the next one. And he said, that's what they do. He said, Daddy said, I, I, I want to buy a goat for these kids. That's what they that's what's in their reach and their, their diets and their lifestyle, the people of Ethiopia. And so he bought a, he was, he's telling us about this. And I said, Brian, Gail and I will buy one or two. I don't know how many we bought. We'll send you the money. Brian said he, he went down the street. He saw the shepherd leading a goat. And he said, goats, many of them. And he said, how much does it cost? And uh, he, he paid the money. They, they put the goat in the cab, in the car, took it straight to the orphanage and began to process it. 
They begin to cook it right there. I mean, I'm talking about minutes, an hour or two. And he said the whole place just lit up. It was like Christmas. The kids were so amazed and the workers. So he had to go back to Ethiopia to make all of this work. He had to stand before a judge, him and his wife. And the Ethiopian judge asked my son this question as he was about ready to adopt this child. The judge said, Sir, I want to know. I'm curious. Why would anybody from the United States come all the way from America to adopt a child from Ethiopia? My preacher son said, well, he said, I had a father one day. It came all this way, sent his only son to die on a cross for me and adopted me into his family. She said, sir, do you realize that when I approve this, that she's going to be your child and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it Nothing can be done to change it. This baby is going to be your child. And he said, he said, I know how that works. He said, I've been adopted into a family that can never be changed. Once my adoption took place, he said, I was in forever. Now today, this little child's life will never, ever be the same. From a field thrown in, left to die, adopted into this family. Now these kids are involved in missions. She has opportunities today that she would have never, ever, even if her mother had kept her, would never have been able to experience before. This is the power of love. This is the power of adoption. All of us, and maybe there are people here today that have been adopted. Family is important. No matter how it originates, this is the power of love and the power of adoption. And her name is Avon, and her life will never be the same. It's been made new, like our lives have been made new because of the power of the resurrection. There's a scripture, and I told the men at the soundboard this morning, there were going to be several others that I'm going to slide in that they don't have and you don't have, but maybe you want to incorporate this today in Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. And so Jesus, his resurrection 
The power of it makes adoption into his family possible because what he has done for us, our acceptance of him, we can be adopted. Every single one of us can have a, a, a wonderful royal family now that we can be associated with. And where there was once a great divide between us and God because of our sins, the cross, listen carefully, it spans the chasm and allows us to access him 24 hours a day. Grace changes our relationship with God from, from being enemies and alienated to his friend and to his children. I think the most powerful word that we're given in the scriptures, and I want to read this for you again in, first, in, in John 1, verse 19 and 13, is that our relationship with God even goes beyond our wildest imagination. I want you to look with me in John again. John chapter 1 and verse number 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. And came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Look at this. Even to them that believe on his name. The sons of God. The children of God. The family of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when Jesus came into this world, listen carefully, there were two reactions that people had when he came. Some received him as their personal savior, while others rejected him, calling him a fake and a fraud. But John tells us that those who did receive him, God gave them the right to be as they were adopted into the family of God to become the children of God. In fact, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So this adoption, listen carefully, I remind you of something, has nothing to do with the physical aspect of birth, but rather it's a spiritual one. The first thing that I want to share with you today is this. Everybody, everybody is welcome into God's family makes no difference who they are, where they've come from, what they've done, what they're experiencing, what their status in life is, what their education is, what their finances are. It makes no difference. Every person, the scriptures teach us that it's not the will of the Father that any should perish. And so number one this morning, everyone is welcome into God's family. And it's easy sometimes, I think, and I've heard people tell me this over the last 50 years as a pastor they say it's easy sometimes, preacher, that we can get so caught up as you preached last Sunday about the things in our life and where we've been and what we've done that we, we, we don't feel like we belong into God's family. We have too many blemishes. We have uh, too many problems and we made too many mistakes in our life. Let me assure you something. To become a child of God is not an entitlement by any means. We're, we're not born into this world, saved or on our road to heaven. The thing is, all of us were born into this world on our road to hell. Every single one of us. We were born into this world, lost and undone without God. Sometimes maybe we have wondered how in the world could God love me? How could God adopt me? Why would God select me to become a part of his family when there have been so many wrong turns in my life, when I've done so many things, but when you look at this thing about being adopted into the family of Jesus, 
you begin to see right away that really and truly, based upon the genealogy of Jesus, that we all fit in to some way or another because the book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And let me remind you of something real quick. When you feel like if there's somebody watching today or you're sitting here, you're saying, preacher, I, I would love to be able to say that these are my brothers and sisters. I would love to be able to say that this is my family, my, fam my spiritual family of God. I would love to be able to say that, but you have no idea where I've been, what I've done, the things that's hanging over my head. You have no idea what's in my past. But let me remind you of something. When you think about this genealogy of Jesus, here are some of the names of the people who show up right off the bat. Jacob, who was a liar, the scripture says. David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. Rahab, who was a prostitute. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, there's a lot of people that's got a very wicked, ugly past. But God embraced them. He adopted them. What we can see like a list of broken and flawed people upon further review in the scriptures, how they have become so beautiful, a beautiful tapestry of people who are loved by God and who are welcomed in his family. I love to see the process, the journey unfold in people's lives once they've been adopted into God's family and see how they're nourishing and, and growing. One of the things I love as a pastor, I love sometimes, and I'm intrigued by this, to hear little children try to quote scriptures. And I've shared this with you a time or two, I believe, but it's like the little child that was given the assignment over the summer to learn the 23rd Psalm. And the Sunday school teacher said, now when we get back in the fall, I want all you kids one at a time, stand up and quote the 23rd Psalm. Summer passed. It was time to renew the year. The children came back and the teacher said, okay, we're going to start today with the 23rd Psalm. How many of you learned it? One little girl raised her hand like lightning. She said, okay, we're going to start with you. Stand up and say the 23rd Psalm. She read back, stood up, read back and said, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. <laughs> Truthfully, she got it right, didn't she? <laughs> like this little fella here, his name was Jonathan, and they said, we want you to learn how to pray the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. And so he, he had a little time to work with, and he thought he was pretty sharp with it, and it was his turn. He stood up. Teacher said, are you ready to say your verse? He said, yes, ma'am, I am. This is what he said. Our Father, who art in heaven, I know you know my name. <laughs> when I looked at some of these attempts that children have made to quote the scriptures and wrote two of those down here, Though Jonathan may have got the prayer a little wrong, but in the end, I think he got it right because God did know his name. God knows all of our names. As he is our heavenly father and we have been adopted into his family, the truth of the matter is there's nothing about us that he does not know. 
He knew us way back. He knew us before we were saved. He knew us before we were in his family. He knows everything about us and he loves us just the same. In fact, Luke chapter 12 verse 7 says, but even the very hairs of our head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are more value than the many sparrows. He knew us before we were saved. He knows us since we have been saved. And thank God, he still loves us. It's like the judge who told my son in Ethiopia, there's nothing you can do to change the fact that this child has been adopted into your family. And thank God, listen, we're going to sin, mess up, strike out all the time. But thank God, the adoption cannot be broken. We are born spiritually birthed as sons of God into his family that can never be changed. There are incredible benefits that come to us by being in the family of God. And these benefits are put on display all throughout the scriptures in our lives. But I want to talk about the early years of believers in the book of Acts and Acts chapter two. I want you to see this quickly. In verse 42, the word says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers and fears came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they this early group of believers, this family of God, they continuing daily with one accord. Man, it's amazing what God can do with unity. In this crowd here, there were no brothers or sisters sitting over here saying, I dare you to look at me another time. I don't believe there were anybody cutting in the eyes at each other, trying to avoid each other, not shaking hands with one another. Listen, they were all, the scripture says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, not just some of the people, but all of the people. And the Lord, because of their unity, because of their love for one another, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is a part right here where we were talking about just a minute ago. Lord, speak to me. Lord, help me to personalize the word today. Help me not only to be aware of it, but to be sensitive to it. Help me to be productive with it. So listen carefully. In Acts chapter 11, verse number 26, the Bible talks about Christians now. They were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. And the first Christians, I want you to understand this, they were not different. They were not any different than you and I. They were looking for a place to belong. I think all of us do that. They were in need of an intentional spiritual community around them. All of us are. They were faced with a struggle of persecution. And the truth of the matter is they did not feel at home any longer in the Jewish faith because of their dedication and acceptance and following of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they began to want to belong to a, a group, a family, a people. And what they longed for in this family was that closeness with each other 
as well as God. And the Bible tells us that these early Christians spent time together under the teaching of the apostles and they fellowshiped with one another around the table. They prayed with and for one another. They shared with one another sacrificially and and they began to bear one another's needs. They enjoyed each other's presence and they shared in common this bond of Christ's love. This is one of the many reasons why I love to come to church. I hope you didn't come just because you felt like it was a duty. I, I, I want my neighbors to see now, I get in my car and come to church. I, you know, not just to be sporty and for duty, but I pray that you get in your car, you, you, you wake up on Sunday mornings and you begin to pray, even maybe while you're laying in the bed, Lord, prepare my heart. Let the word today speak to me. Let somebody see Jesus in me, whether across the street, at the traffic light, let somebody see Jesus in me. One of the reasons why I love to come to church is because of the family of God. I need this. I, I need you in my life. Number two, quickly, godly fellowship is vital. In Acts 2, 47, this is what I find most compelling. Look at it. Praising God in heaven, favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The family that God was building in these early New Testament years through the body of believers was so attractive. The people got along. They were willing to bear one another's burdens. They began serving together. And people outside of God's family saw something that encouraged them. They said, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to do this. I think there are two major reasons for this because number one, the family of God and when you study this carefully, they, they did, and we do, and should do, Christian life together. That's what the early Christians understood, and that's a spiritual truth that we need to get a hold of. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They enjoyed one another. They shared openly with one another their burdens. They were glad together. They, they were sincere together. And listen carefully. Likewise, it's the same thing with you and I today. When these particular elements are all present for all of us here at Buford Road, it causes us to have a continual flourishing relationship with one another that otherwise would not be possible. I, I, most of you know I love to farm and I love to garden. I, I, I love to put things in the ground and watch it grow. I love to take care of animals and do those kind of things. It's physical and emotional therapy for me. But listen, those of you that love those kind of things, you know, you can relate to this, that any garden needs sunlight. Every garden needs water. Every garden needs delicate care. All of those things, sunlight, water, delicate care, those things are important for a garden to grow. You cannot just take a handful of seed and throw it out there and sit on your porch and say, now I can't wait till that happens. It doesn't work like that. And spiritually speaking, listen, the elements present in our lives today are the, are, that's needing to be fulfilled in our hearts and our lives, they were the same things that the early believers, the New Testament church, the Old Testament traveling in the tabernacle. Listen, it, those elements that we're talking about was just as important for them as it is for us today. They were a family. They had needs. 
They reached out to one another and what they shared more than anything was love. In fact, I want to read this for you in 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John tells us that everything he knows about the sacrificial love of Jesus and how it's important that we demonstrate those virtues in our life as well. He does it because he knows it will allow the hearers to have fellowship with one another. Number two, the family of God needs to meet with each other every week. I, you know, I, I thought about this. Sometimes we, we allow so many things in our lives that takes us out of the church, that takes us out of fellowship with one another. All of us are going through the week with some kind of struggle, with some kind of trial, with some kind of need, with some kind of pressure or some type of circumstance. The early believers, they were doing everything they possibly could do, as Acts 2 tells us, to help one another in those blind spots, in those hungering spots, in those needful things. But it's a shameful thing that because people were the same in the tabernacle days, they were the same in the early church of New, in Jerusalem. And the truth of the matter is, we're all still the same today. Whether being counted for righteous or whether being adopted into the family of God, it's a shame that in many, many circumstances, we find ourselves just so too busy to love one another, to reach out to one another, to share with one another. The early New Testament believers, they, uh, they, it was a physical presence that they had to experience, not only with one another, but trusting God to be there in their presence as well. They knew that when they got together, and then oftentimes during the week together, that they were the hands and they were the feet of the Lord. But this is what I believe, just as important as it is for a physical garden to grow with sunlight, and water, and diligent care. You and I as a body of Christ, we need one another. That's probably one of the greatest elements that we have of a need. The community of faith that we experience today is no different than it was in the days of the Lord. And we have to be, we have to be willing to meet one another's needs, to bear one another's burdens. We just have to be. I believe that when people can see in us some genuine aspects of what this Bible talks about. Not just knowing what it says, but doing what it says. When we do, we become more attractive to other people. Maybe people that are watching you from a distance. Maybe people that are watching you that has been under conviction by the Holy Spirit. I read something this week and it really spoke to me. And it, it was a powerful thing that I wanted to bring your way this morning. And as I asked you just a few moments ago to pray, Lord, speak to me personally. When I read this, this preparation for my sermon, I wanted to bring it to you and it says this. And this could be a helpful thing to you if you were to say it and believe it in your heart. This is my church and it is composed of people just like me. There's some younger people, there's some older people, there's some people who are just learning. There are some wiser people. But when you look at it all together, this church is filled with people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. You, you'd be surprised how many times people have come, want to make appointments and say, Brother, so-and-so just won't speak to me. 
And my first thought is this, okay, have you spoke to them? Well, no, because they won't speak to me. <laughs> he that hath friends must show himself friendly. That's the word. This church, my church, it will do a great work if I work. This church, it will be generous in its accomplishments if I'm generous in my service as well. This church, it will bring others into his fellowship if I help bring others into the fellowship. Its seats will be filled if I help to fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love and of faith and of service if I help to contribute to those things. If I make it what it is, then I'm filled with those things. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all the things that I want my church to be. I said, man, that's, that's powerful. Number three this morning, I want our musicians to come forward. I'm over, but I, I want to finish this. Always be willing to reach out and welcome others. When we reach out and we welcome others into the community of our church and our lives, we remind ourselves that this, this family, this body, this church is meant to grow according to the word of God. When we experience the love of God, the love of the Father, like we should, it should compel us to share it with people who have never felt that way before. And I'm reminded of what the scripture says, that we're the light of the world. And we have to be. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We've got to be willing to reach out. When I was a child, maybe some of you can identify with this. I don't know that they have them too much anymore. People don't really take time to eat as a family anymore. And it's a shame. Lives are too busy that people upstairs with TV dinners and people out in the yard and get what you can when you can. I, when I grew up, Danny and I, we grew up in a, in a home where my mom and dad, they would insist on us eating all together. My mother's here today, by the way. Good to see you in the service. We, we, we didn't have all these separated eating times. And when I was a kid, if we weren't at home when we knew we were supposed to be, my mother, she's here today, she's a pretty good yodeler. <laughs> she, she knew how to yodel. Like... It was not good. <laughs> and she said, you're not home when you're supposed to be. I'm going to step out on the back porch and I'm going to yodel at y'all home. Of course, we didn't really put too much stock into that at first, but Lord have mercy. <laughs> when we were not where we were supposed to be and she stepped out there like mini pearl. We learned real quick. If I didn't want my friends to hear that, we better get to the house. But in our home, we, we grew up 
Well, there was a leaf in our table. You know, you, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say leaf in the table? That's, is that too old-fashioned? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's when everybody ate together and you had in large family, you had this thing called a leaf. In, in our house, we never took the leaf out because like, like Gail's family, her mother, our folks, They'd invite missionaries over to the house to eat all the time. And we had a ministry called Servicemen for Christ, not just our church, many churches in the area. And her mother would bring soldiers home, feed them Sunday afternoon, and we'd do the same thing. What I'm trying to say is there was always room at our table for somebody, somebody else. We never pulled the leaf out and shortened things up and ate at different times. My goodness, it wasn't like that. But you know what I got to thinking about this the other day? I think our lives are so busy and so complicated, which truly they are. But I think we need to get back to the place where we put the leaf back in the table and start looking at things from a broader perspective where it's not just about me, myself, and I but it's about others. And say, Lord, speak to me personally. How can I be a light that would attract somebody else to the fold? How can I be a light that will attract somebody else into the church, into our family? How can, I, how can I do that, Lord? If you earnestly, sincerely pray, Lord, speak to me. Not only that I become aware of it, but that I would become sensitive to it and that I would be productive with it. Lord, speak to me. My challenge today is this. Let's take the leaf out of the table. Or let's put the leaf back in the table. Put it back in the table. And build yourself a circle, a community of folks where there's always room. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.